future. It can often seem like a pretty ominous thing. What's it going to be like? How long am I going to be here? Will we have flying cars at some point in our lives? Are there going to be jet skis that I can fly on, get across the ocean? Or perhaps there will be some kind of medicine that will cure any disease no matter what you get, be it COVID or anything else. The future can seem like a pretty nasty thing. It can seem like a really hopeful thing. But either way, as technology continues to improve, the stories we tell, especially those even in a fictional sense, can often seem like the dark prophets of our future. Science fiction authors have been telling us for 50, 60, 70 years plus what we think could happen if the human race goes off down a tangent or a rabbit hole where technology goes completely unchecked. Today's episode on The Writer's Lens is talking about futurism and even that new term, transhumanism, and, of course, the stories I like, love, and hate that all relate to this. I'm your host, J.C. Alfelto, and this is The Writer's Lens. Hey guys, welcome back to The Writer's Lens. Again, I'm your host, J.C. Alfelto, so thanks for joining me again for another episode here uh, on my podcast. Uh, if you have not liked, shared, or subscribed, or any of those things, this is the part where I will implore of you and plead with you like any good podcaster, creative will, and say, will you please do at least one of those? Will you please at least like, share, subscribe? Do something for this podcast. Uh, if you're listening to it and you think it's well or well-written, witty, or something or other that is somewhat entertaining, then yes, please do those things. Uh, I often say share it with a friend and then you can have conversations. I actually had some uh, folks close to me say that they would go on runs together in the morning and literally discuss some of the topics on the writer's lens. So I thought that was some pretty cool feedback that I was getting for a while. So hopefully these guys are still doing the same, doing the same thing and I'll hear from them again soon. But either way, uh, real quick before I get into this episode, because if you listen to the intro, then you know I'm talking about stories I like, love, and hate as it revolves around futurism or transhumanism. But I want to make a point of clarification from my last episode because I I went back, I listened a little bit to it, and I was, you know, I was a little bit maybe too vague about some of the topics there as far as like aliens and you know what they, you know, what what I hate about it. And so just for a point of clarification, even for my own sake, when I say that I hate a story that negates God as it relates to aliens, the thing that I wanted to bring up is that I hate it in certain stories when aliens behave as humans, but they do kind of the really dumb things, kind of like from a Hollywood cliche standpoint. So for instance, one of the big things in Hollywood that we see in filmmaking, especially today, is the old like picky up and throw you as far as I can uh, motif, where uh, a big character like a predator, like the Predator or Alien or, you know, even the Terminator series does this a lot. They walk over to the protagonist who clearly is weaker physically. They grab him, pick him up by the neck, throat, whatever, chuck them across the room, and I've seen this in Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, or I should say Jurassic World, I've seen this. They chuck them across the room, and then they give that person about 10 seconds or so to get up and find a weapon as they're walking uh, rather casually over to go get them. And I just think this is so dumb, okay? This is obviously being done to heighten the suspense, but it's it's lacking that sort of realism that this is sort of a, you know, knuckles to knuckles, you know, fists, beat them up, shoot them out kind of fight, and it's to the death. It's obviously to the death. One side wants to kill the other, and if you're going to be doing that, that's kind of a dumb thing to do. So I, so for me, that's more of what I hate to see 
from a filmmaking standpoint is the laziness that you'll see and, and stuff like that. That's just, it, it's supposed to make us feel like, oh, wow, look at this. Uh, the humans have a chance when they really shouldn't. You know, they really should not have a chance at all to, to beat something that big and rather should be using more strategery to try and beat them. So that was it. And I was, I was dovetailing into this idea that if, when, and if we were to ever run into extraterrestrials that... Uh, we better darn hope that there is a king of the universe that has set forth laws and morals because if there is no God and we do, if, when, if, we run into uh, aliens uh, far beyond the reaches of our solar system and there is no greater law to anything, there is no greater rule book, then there's a good chance that those extraterrestrials will behave in the same function that every animal on this planet behaves in, which is survival of the fittest, might is right. And we know this being human beings, even though we might say, oh, our better angels do this or that or the other. Even as human beings, we look to dominate other creatures. You know, we, we take livestock, we take chickens, you know, we, we dominate the, lives, the uh, livelihoods of creatures. We move into a, a, make a new suburb and we cut down trees and we push out raccoons and squirrels, but they can still kind of congregate if you're like my house. Squirrels and other animals will congregate around my house anyway, as long as they're not digging into my soffit. I have no problem with it. Point being, we take over the land, you know, and strangely enough, this is a biblical concept to, to take dominance over the land. Uh, you know, Adam was told to name all the animals. For those that aren't Bible scholars, he was told to name all the animals. So there was that job, which was obviously very hard and, and uh, time consuming. But either way, okay, either way, even if you don't believe in the Bible, if you're not one of those God type folks, uh, that's fine. But if we are operating by our molecules and our DNA are the ultimate deciding factor as to whether or not we are going to be motivated to live, then that would be the way of everything else out there that is either lower order us or higher order us in terms of complex thinking. So if there is a king of the universe, if there actually is a moral law giver who has given out laws to the, the material world, the, the cosmos, and also into our hearts and made it so that there is a way for us to live a holy life, live a life that is more representative of the one who made us, then this other higher order of beings, we better darn hope that they have that same kind of imprinting or else we're in for some big trouble. <laughs> so so that was what I wanted to, to clarify from my last episode. And I, I apologize for taking up a few minutes here of this one, but I just wanted to make sure that was clear uh, as far as the stories I like, love, and hate episode for Aliens Edition. Because I do love a good alien movie, and I, I like most alien movies. I love the alien films like Super 8 as much as I like an Independence Day, or I like an E.T., or any of those things. I find those to be really fascinating. But mostly, when it's an alien film about something that is totally mysterious, totally unusual, doesn't behave like a normal creature would, those, to me, are the most fascinating. Uh, those are most fascinating to me. There was that movie Life with Jake Gyllenhaal that was kind of interesting. It was a little bit... Uh, blocky or whatnot in some places. I don't know if that's the right descriptor, but that's the way I feel from having watched it. But those are the ones I appreciate because it's it's more like, what is this thing going to do next? We have no clue and we don't know the level of threat that we're under to deal with them. So anyway, that's that. And for that, we can now move on to the next section of this episode. Here we go. Okay, so on to the more relevant things that you maybe were hoping to hear for this episode on The Writer's Lens. So for this edition, this is about futurism. This is about transhumanism, the stories I like, love, and hate. 
uh, you know, to hear about or or to have read or viewed. Uh, right off the bat, if you are not familiar with the terms futurism or futurist or transhumanism, uh, it can basically be summed up as transhumanism is this idea that human beings can add to themselves in order to sort of transcend their humanity and become something else. We can evolve forcibly through our own means, our own willpower, to add to what we are when we come out of the womb. So, for instance, the idea that, uh, you know, we can develop these sort of AI chips for arms that will allow us to become super strong or something like that, or we, you know, put jetpacks in our backs. Uh, But it also gets down to the molecular level of, well, what if we're able to stop all diseases in the womb? What if we're able to engineer people to have blue eyes or green eyes or brown eyes? Uh, you know, what if we're able to uh, kind of sort of self-create uh, certain personality traits and things like that, God willing, who, who knows? It's a very, very scary topic, okay? It's a scary topic because ultimately, again, if you're like me, you know that the ones making the decisions might be people with really, really bad intentions. Uh, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, Uh, That, to me, is the scariest part about it. And when it comes to the futurism part of it, it's this idea that, you know, as technology, uh, you know, quote-unquote, advances, we are able to then build more efficient and more, uh, I don't want to say longer-lasting systems, but much more efficient means of production Uh, when it comes to industry. uh, You know, we're not taking as long to build a skyscraper. Uh, We're able to get from point A to point B faster. It's kind of like with communication, uh, with the Internet. The fact that you can send an email to somebody, you know, halfway around the world and they'll get it within a few seconds or, you know, 10 seconds or even less than that. Or you can make a phone call to somebody on the other end of the planet uh, as far as like if I was calling India from here in the United States, I could do that. Okay, I could actually do that. Um, and in doing so, in doing that, uh, I've cut down the need for me to actually travel there, to, to take all the time that would be necessary to, to run over to India, or rather travel to India, and, you know, spend, you know, a week or two just, you know, essentially trying to meet the person in person. So that's some of the idea behind this, uh, as far as futurism and transhumanism goes. And as far as not just Hollywood is concerned, but just popular culture, fictional stories, and now also becoming more of a reality... We see and hear more about this day in and day out as as I'm getting older here in the 21st century, mostly because we have the technology now to start doing a lot of pretty rad things. And our fiction that we've been writing for 40, 50, 60 years is slowly starting to reveal that we were kind of right about a lot of stuff. We know we were right about cloning things or trying to build people in the womb. Uh, The idea of, of having robots and artificial intelligence that could do jobs or tasks that we couldn't or that we did before with human laborers can now be kind of cut out. You know, there's a whole Ford assembly line concept and we'll get into that. These are some of the ideas of futurism or or even the idea of transhumanism. And it's kind of crazy. Okay. It's kind of crazy when you think about it uh, that we could be on the cusp of that in the next 10 to 15 years or even sooner than that. So I like it when I, when I, encounter a story where someone's delving into this mess and they're trying to be sort of a prophet of the future or they're trying to explain a way through their own fiction. Hey, this is what I think it will look like. Hey, I think this is what it could be. Hey, this is what um, 
my interpretation or perception of the way things are going looks like and, and we go from there. So I like that. I like that. You know, even my stories. I mean, I'm a science fiction writer on the side myself, so I enjoy these kinds of stories. Uh, the ones I love, you know, so again, transitioning here into the part two of this, <laughs> part two of this episode, stories I love like this are like the Blade Runner movies. Fantastic films. Really good films. Uh, you know, Ryan Gosling was in the most recent one as the protagonist, Harrison Ford, returned. For those that aren't familiar with uh, or are unfamiliar with Blade Runner, it's a future where these things are made, uh, these replicants are made that look just like human beings, but they only live four to five years and they do a lot of the menial tasks for humans. They look just like humans. They're born with the memories as though they were 25, 30 years old or however old they're supposed to be. And they do a variety of different functions. And one of the interesting things in Blade Runner is that uh, the main character from the first film, Harrison Ford, he's a cop who's supposed to go get what are known as sort of like rogue replicants, the ones that break from doing their, their duties. And he has to hunt them down and kill them uh, because most of them have sort of like enhanced strength. Their bodies are more durable. Some of them are used as sort of like sex slaves. Uh, and it's, it again, these are all things that human beings would come up with, okay? Because a lot of times truth is stranger than fiction. But what happens in this story is that you find out the replicants, because they are mirroring humanity, begin to exhibit human characteristics. They start to, they show empathy. They're not just robots. You know, they're born with a brain, they're born with body parts and everything else that would represent possibly being a human. And so they want their own freedom. And so it becomes sort of this freedom story. You know, the replicants don't want to just be uh, the toys of, of real humans uh, necessarily. So uh, interesting story. Brave New World that I mentioned earlier, uh, the old Aldous Huxley book about the three different caste systems of human beings and how some humans are engineered to do these tasks and other humans are engineered to do that task. That truly is, as you would say, a brave new world where we would literally have people born to do this task or the other, and these people be born who supposedly have better brains or more intellectual or whatever, and they can do this, that, or the other. And in many ways, negating basic human uh, connection. You know, is a person who's on the lower caste of society worthy of having a relationship? Are they worthy of being in love with someone? Are they worthy of procreating on their own? These are all very difficult, I, to me, I guess not difficult, but these are moral dilemmas that society, uh, that civilizations have to wrestle with, right? Or have wrestled with, and oftentimes have come to some really terrible conclusions. Uh, and in other ways have come to some better conclusions. Hey, we should help these people. Maybe we, sh maybe we should you know, give them some kind of on-ramp so they can get off, off their feet or get on their feet again so they're not lying in a gutter somewhere. These are some of the things that are explored. And I, and I love specifically uh, Blade Runner and Brave New World because both have conclusions that end in the idea of humanity being worthy of being uh, saved in some sense, or should be saved. Um, and I don't want to say worthy of being saved, I guess that's kind of the wrong way of saying it, but having value, having intrinsic worth in it that we don't just cast away as though it's yesterday's garbage, right? Um, that is the thing that I like about both of those stories. I mean, in Brave New World, at least I remember in the special, the main character who was kind of told he shouldn't have relationships uh, he's just supposed to take this thing called Soma and he's just supposed to have sex with people. I mean, that's kind of the idea is that you just pursue your desires and, you know, sex is like a transaction. Well, he ends up falling in love with a girl and she falls in love with him and they want to have a child. And so they do. And so there's this 
component of life that comes through in Brave New World that, to me, is the end cap of the story that is telling me again, hey, this is a basic human need. This is a basic reality of human function that gives us life. It gives us that sort of energy, that gusto, that motivation for getting up in the in the morning outside of, uh, for me, outside of like saying, hey, you know, God, you did all this, uh, but I'm also made in that image to do these things, to be a life giver. And that would be something that would be life giving is creating new life myself. So I like those conclusions. Those conclusions are good. Now, not all science fiction soirees, not all futuristic uh, stories end this way. Not all of them go down this path and say, yes, uh, we think that humans have some value uh, or, you know, we should be able to uh, let everybody, you know, get married and have kids and, and, you know, learn what it's like to have responsibility, learn what it's like to invest in someone, learn what it's like to care for another person other than ourselves. We don't need that, you know. We don't need any of that stuff because human beings are just fodder. Uh, that, to me, is a good segue to the stories I hate. Okay, <laughs> Stories I hate. Any kind of story, whether it be nonfiction or fiction, so any kind of opinion piece, too, that tends to lean towards this idea that technology is the answer to humanity's inmost crisis, a.k.a. the the lack of joy or unhappiness or uh, the brokenness that is human beings, uh, that is every human being, to me, is uh, is folly. Okay, it's complete folly and it's, it's, it's a bad conclusion. Just because you can give somebody a million dollars does not mean you're going to solve their crisis of debt. Okay, just because you can give a person... Uh, a nice house does not mean you have solved the per that person's desire for shelter. Just because you can give a person a TV does not mean you have now suddenly given them a road to entertainment that they will use wisely. These are all tools, okay? Even money is a tool of some kind. But if the one using the tool doesn't know how to use it properly, if the one who's been given the tool has no framework, has no blueprint for how to do it, they will eventually use it for a selfish means or they'll they'll basically uh, you know walk through the muddy waters making mistake after mistake after mistake and in some cases doing it with a willful ignorance thinking that eventually if I do it the 99th time it won't be like the other 98. That's human nature as well. Okay, <laughs> That is human nature as well when it comes down to it. So, uh, you know, as I said before, Technology being the answer to humanity's inmost crises is a bad road to go down. And uh, I think Blade Runner and Brave New World uh, do a good job of trying to explain this away. Uh, because if you really are honest with human nature, if you're really honest with the way human beings behave towards one another, you will find that to be true. I mean, that there is good and evil in the world. There is a struggle between doing good or, or, or doing evil, which would be uh, more selfish pursuits and, and only, uh, you know, thinking the world revolves around myself or maybe a few people, select people, and, you know, telling the other people not in the room that they have no value. Those are great evils, okay? Those are great evils. But technology is not going to save us, okay? Technology is not going to save us from this problem. Uh, you know, we can avert some things, right? You know, we can use safer cleaning agents, you know, we can fortify our homes better, you know, so that they're not blown in by a bad storm, uh, you know, we can eat certain foods and understand that certain nutrients are better for us than others. We can do a lot of these things as precautions, but it still doesn't absolve us of this core crisis that was within us that we are broken, okay? That we don't have everything down, we're not perfected, and as long as we try in our life, we're not going to be there. 
I bring all this up because also uh, I was recently engaged with uh, a video, an audio uh, interview that I'd heard this year uh, on TED, uh, T-E-D, which TED, for the most part, I you know sometimes I listen to some of these these big thinkers and I go, okay, you lost me, or not you lost me because I think it's too heady, but I, I don't I don't like your conclusion. <laughs> I don't like where you're going with this. I think it's really bad. One such example was uh, an interview that was done with an Israeli uh, thinker, writer, philosopher by the name of you uh, Yuval Noah Harari, I believe is how you pronounce his name where he was talking about the future and he was talking about this road we're going down with AI and with, you know, what are we going to do in the future when we start to automate more things? And he made this really incredible comment where he said the vast majority of people, and I'm paraphrasing, are not going to be necessary. They're essentially not going to be needed because we will, we will have created jobs for machines that are more menial uh, and even the interviewer says it like, oh, we have people doing these rather boring jobs. They don't really, and he said something along the lines of, uh, you know, it doesn't really ping the human experience or something or the full strata of human uh, life or whatever it is, whatever that's supposed to mean, I don't know. But both of them had this sort of air about them as to say, we don't need a lot of people. In fact, we could have less people. We could depopulate the earth and we would be much better off. Now, I know the cynical response to this is, oh yeah, get rid of you know these guys. Those guys are jerks. And I don't like those dudes. And, get, you know, and people have joked about this for years. I mean, uh, the comedian Bill Burr has a whole skit about you know, how we need to have less people in the world. And it's a joke that he's saying this. But what he's saying has a grain of truth to it because there are people that we don't like. And there are uh, experiences that we'll have where we'll say there's too many people in line at Disney World or Cedar Point. Or, uh, you know, there's too much traffic on the roads and I wish there was less traffic. That means there'd be less people. You know, as a salesperson, there's less competition for me so I can get all the good sales and I can make all the money. Notice how all of these things revolve around me. They revolve, and not just me personally, but you if you're listening. It's all very selfish. It has very little to do with thinking of other people. And so when I heard this interview being done, my first response was, where's the empathy? You know, where's the basic human connection that we're making? And secondly, who are these people to contest that the jobs that are done now don't have value outside of the human experience? I mean, I mean, for years we've had people tilling the fields. We've had farmers doing this. Um, so for years we've had these jobs that have given people livelihoods that have given people the ability to go home and know they've done a good day's work. And that's fine and that's okay but to come to the conclusion to get rid of people and to say, we're not, what are we going to do with these folks? What are, what are we going to do with them? Should we just put them on drugs? Should we just give them games and simulations until they die out and make sure they never breed again? That's awful. Okay, that is an awful, awful thing. Uh, and it can only come from the thinking that you are more important than other people. That you have less empathy for other folks. That you think less of other people and very highly of your own self. And to me, that's a very scary place to be in because this is where the worst regimes have come about. This is where uh, the worst tyrannies have been born. This is where extermination attempts have happened across the world throughout history. This is where slavery comes out of, uh, is uh, like real, actual slavery. Like, uh, you know, when African tribes are trading uh, their own people away to, to, for goods. Uh, you know, when there were, uh, you know, white settlers being taken uh, in the Middle East. 
by others when uh, in America, for instance, uh, when we had slavery still, even though our Constitution was saying, you know, all men are created equal, these awful institutions against human rights are birthed out of this concept that I'm better than you, that you don't have any future. And if we're talking futurism, we're talking transhumanism, if the goal is to somehow create a good future that flourishes with human beings being able to treat each other better, then we can't have this high and mighty, I'm on my cloud and you're down there thinking. We can't think of ourselves as God. And this, of course, will be my soapbox as far as being a, a Christian. For those who are listening, know this about me. You can only have God on the throne in order to have a joy-filled, peaceful, uh, not, I wouldn't say peaceful, but having peace within yourself, a joy-filled life, if God is on his throne and you are not there. That is the only way it can actually happen. If you try to put yourself on that throne, if you put other people on that throne, life becomes chaos. Life goes into disarray. And the reality is many of us go through life putting ourselves on the throne a lot, dictating this, dictating that, thinking ourselves are better than others, all that kind of stuff. That's the hard thing, okay? That is the hard thing to do. And again, without going down the deep theological <laughs> rabbit hole here, that's what makes us sinful, okay, is that we become very selfish. We look at ourselves, we say that I'm the most important person in the room, and for all of those reasons, um, I don't think other people should be deserving of this, that, or the other. So I found that interview to be incredibly jarring. Uh, it's not like it's anything new that's not been said before, though, but now it just has the spin of we are going to automate jobs as opposed to we're going to get rid of those jobs and we'll just kill those people anyway because we have no use for them because we don't need those resources, uh, it's a familiar conversation. And I, I saw some people commenting, especially on YouTube, oh, everyone needs to hear this. This is where we're going. What are we going to do with these people? What you're going to do with those people is, is find them work and find them things to do because they're people. That's what you do. Uh, and again, like I said, that is the thing that um, we all need to be aware of is that these are all people with intrinsic value, intrinsic worth. And, you know, I may not be tilling the field today, but I might be tomorrow. You know, I mean, th there's no guarantees that the certain technologies that exist are still going to be around, right? I mean, there's there's no guarantee of that. Things are always changing. And to have a durable skill as though the earth is here and I can till it and I can I can grow crops and I can do this, that, or that, I can carpent, I can, you know, cut this or I can make that. Those are the kinds of things you take with you. And that becomes an actually, uh, that becomes actually a very invaluable thing to have, by the way. Uh, is that you can take your knowledge with you of things that you're able to uh, you're able to do and work with your hands or this side of the and then, again this is again for me uh, this seems like a, a up in the clouds conversation but again there's so many authors that have that have delved into this idea that have been talking about this idea of the future talking about what are we going to do with this that or the other and I hate it when we try to use this concept that technology is somehow going to answer everything for us uh, and solve the problem of human suffering, it's, it's not going to. It's not going to solve it in the long run. It may in the short term, but it may end up creating even more issues down the road. So that's my episode uh, on stories I like, love, and hate as far as uh, futurism, transhumanism goes. I didn't really get to talk a lot about the transhumanism part. I'm actually doing a lot more research on it right now as we speak. Uh, so I don't have much to say on that as far as trying to engineer this, that, or the other. I really just wanted to talk about this I, this concept of the future and as well as this uh, interview that I heard uh, to me again was just very, very jarring. And I thought other folks, if you're listening to this and you, again, if you've been listening for a while, then you kind of have a good tone, a good hip 
uh, understanding of where I come from, but um, uh, I find I found that to be especially uh, troubling that those were some of the conclusions these guys were coming to and trying to put those ideas out there for other people to latch on to. So that all being said, uh, we are in a war of ideas. We're in a war of the stories that we tell. We're in a war of narratives. Uh, so always be reminded of that as you go about in the, the world. So I won't belabor this any longer. Thanks for tuning in. And as I said before, here's again, I guess my own selfish moment. Like, share, subscribe, share with a friend, start a conversation, see what you think about it. Uh, but until next time, guys, I'm JC Alfelto, and this is The Writer's Lens.